So this is the four o'clock anorexic bulimic. Just to make sure you're all in the, the place that you'd like to be. I think we got it. Okay, welcome to the anorexic bulimic workshop meeting. My name is Rebecca. I'm a recovering anorexic bulimic. Hi, everybody, and I'm your moderator for this meeting. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we get started, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic equipment be turned off. Even if you think that it's off, can you please make sure that it is turned off? The session's being taped. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. The opinions expressed here today are those of the individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. Please remember two hatters, i.e. OA members affiliated with related facilities or other 12-step programs are requested to speak specifically on their recovery in the OA program only. An Ask It basket will be circulated for questions and answers for the latter part of the session. If there's any press in this room, please respect our anonymity by not taking any pictures, using a video camera, or using our full names. So the format of this session as it follows, we have two speakers today, and each speaker will share for 20 minutes, and then we have followed by 10 minutes of questions and answers. This session is only one hour. So the topic again is anorexia and bulimia, and our first speaker is Ann F., and I'm going to pass the Ask It basket. If you guys can just keep it circulating, thank you. Hi, I'm Ann, and um, I'm a grateful recovering overeater, bulimic, and anorexic. Hi. Um, well, when I got asked to do this, I was quite shocked because um, I discovered my anorexic, oh, probably about four, four and a half, five years ago in program. Let me first qualify myself. I've been in OA for nine years, eight years abstinent. And um, during that time, I discovered bulimic, and then I discovered anorexic. And um, the thing is, is that how I discovered it was I started losing weight, and I just felt so empowered by the emptiness in my stomach. Um, I felt I could do anything with that empty stomach. I felt a light. I felt also the, the emptier stomach I have. Maybe I'll hear God more because I hear God in my stomach, my high, who is my higher power, and I'll refer to God. I'll talk about uh, God a lot. Um, and so it was just kind of, it felt um, alive. It felt like I could um, do anything almost. But let me go back first and tell you how I became anorexic because I had to do some soul searching on that too. Um, coming into program about a year after, or two years after coming into program, I started having memories of my childhood. And uh, they were sexual abuse, physical abuse, torture, um, and it was ritualistic. So I still have some pain in my body from some of the torture. I still have some scars on the body, but I'm, I'm fine. I'm not going to, you know, model and 
Playboy or anything, so the scars won't show. <laughs> it's not like I've been asked. Um, so, yeah, they're coming in. Um, so the thing is, is that what, what they would do to me, one of the tortures would be if they would lock me away for a weekend and forget about me until maybe the school called. I'm sorry, you guys, I'm not used to that thing. Um, it's, and, and the school would call, then they'd realize, oh, where is she? And they'd go look for me somewhere in the house or somewhere in the backyard. So I got used to not eating. I got a kick out of it. You know, the overeating, the food was a big savior to me, too, in my, at times. But I love the not eating. And I realized that that actually has been more to me than um, bulimic. I don't like throwing up. I don't like purging. In fact, I hardly ever purged. But the not eating was all the time. And it wasn't just about not eating. It was also not eating right. I would eat broccoli and carrots for lunch all day and maybe have a bite of something in the morning. And then maybe I would have a little light dinner and go work out. Or if I did eat a lot at dinner, I would then go work out or I would uh, diet the next day. I'm a big compulsive dieter. Um, my disease is everything to do with food, every ounce of food, everything around food. I feel I have the most control over it, which means I have a control issue. Absolutely. So, uh, so and, it, and it also, you know how we sometimes, as even as anorexic people, or I have overeaten as anorexic, and then I'll starve myself the next day because I punish myself thinking I don't deserve to eat. And I've been one of those people, and I've heard this said in a way that, how could anybody, oh, I'm full. I have done that with a carrot. I've taken a littlest bite and go, God, I'm stuffed. And I think it was the attention in front of the people or to cover my food and say I'm finished. I really feel a lot of it was that. Um, and... Um, The other thing is that I want to say about anorexic, well, there's a lot, is that when I would be hungry, I'd feel so light and I'd be hurting so much inside that I was hoping that I would get so thin, like dust in the air and just evaporate just, and nobody could see me. Or I would shrivel up, kind of like a little woman or something, and just nobody would see me. I liked sitting. At times I would like sitting like this and sucking my stomach in and feeling it empty and feeling myself um, even go lightheaded, dizzy, uh, feeling faint. I've had all that. I have never gone months without eating. I've never been where you, we've seen on TV or the media the bones, the real bony thin, um, because I've had the overeating in there too. But I've gone that on and off of eating, not eating, eating, not eating, eating, not eating, all the time, punishing, not punishing. And even in the eating, I was punishing. It was constant punish on myself. And the other thing I love is that I would love an anorexic is my bones. I love to feel, I would love to feel my bones anywhere. If I laid down on and feel my hips, I could feel my hip bone. I could feel this. I could feel my backbone. I love, I would love to feel my bones. And I'll catch myself every now and again doing that. That I'll go, God, am I, do I need to lose some weight? Can I still feel the bones? So um, it's just a, it, it gives me a high to feel that, to feel that, 
body to feel that emptiness a little bit. It gives me a feeling of like, well, I, um, I have everything in control. I'm doing things really great. So um, I tend to jump around. I don't tend to think one, two, three. I'm not an accountant. I'm ADHD. And um, it, wor it works for me. And so I'm going to go on to some of my recovery. And if I think of other things, anorexic, I'll bring it in too. Um, what saved me from it is to do steps, to reach out to the one thing I learned about OA, it's hard to find a lot of anorexic people and, um, or they didn't know what to say or what to do. So I would reach out and go, I'm anorexic, or I'd listen to people when they'd introduce themselves at meetings and go and hear their introduction. If they said they were anorexic, then I would know, okay, maybe I'll talk to them about it and see how it's going for them. Um, to be honest, I have always ignored this. I've never really given it much thought because in my eyes, I've always been fat. I've always had a weight problem. I, to this day, I have a body image problem. I will look in the mirror. I will look at myself, sit down. I will see my t little tummy, and I will just pinch it. I want to rip it off. I want to just take it and throw it away, or I'll feel a little round here. I, the body image is just a killer with anorexic. It's just never thin enough. Never thin. And this week, all I had was every time I turned around, people said, you look good. Guy, it looks like you've lost weight, or you look good. And it still wasn't enough to me. And I was able to say this friend of your prayer, but I also realized it just wasn't enough for me. I, to me, I was, I'm always fat. Always. Now and then, I'll have a few days that I feel thin. But the great thing is, is that I get to look at myself and go, you're not, and I get to make an outreach call in this program. One of the things that I'm big on in this program that I've really worked hard on and I talk a lot about is self-love. As an anorexic and all the eating disorder, I had, of course, none of that growing up. So I had to take what my parents didn't do and really help that little girl inside because she's hurting. She's having a hard time. I want to play. You know, I want to play and have a good time and laugh and giggle. I like to giggle. I don't care if people laugh at me or with me. Just freaking laugh. You know, life is too short. If I trip and fall, laugh, but help me get up. Um, you know, I really don't care because um, I want to feel the joy inside. I want to feel the peace inside. I want to replace that emptiness of the no food with joy and peace and eating three meals a day. I eat three meals a day no matter what. Um, if I feel like not eating when I go to the meeting, I tell them I don't feel like eating, but I commit to you and to God and to myself that I'm going to go home and eat my dinner. And I will go home and eat my dinner. I'll eat something. If I don't eat all that I planned, I eat something. I have to eat something in that planned meal. Sometimes I even have a snack. Um, but if I don't do that, that's not self-love. The other thing I've learned about myself is that I'm very, I like, I'm very tactile. I love touch, healthy touch. And so I have to hold myself a lot. I have to go like this a lot and hold myself, wrap myself up in a blanket. I have to ask myself, why are you hurting? What's going on? That's what, to me, a lot of recovery is about. It's going, okay, I don't want to eat, so what's going on? I, mean, I have to jump right to that what's going on when I don't feel like eating. And so when I can look at it and go, God, this really hurts, or I'm hurting about this because somebody said something to me and it's triggering this, this, and this, 
I can do the steps around it. You know, one, two, three. I'm in a four. I can do a quick ten and, and finish it out. Um, and I can call and give it away, too, if I can find someone. If not, I just leave it on their cell phone. Um, I, when I came into OA, I realized that I needed to be loved. I didn't know that. Thank you so much. I didn't realize that I really needed to be loved and, and, and unconditionally loved. And that's what you guys gave me until I could give it to myself. Because you know what's funny? They say this in, in, the, in, the, um, in the books. I'm not sure if it's the big book or the, um, just the 12, um, 12 and 12 OA, is that I would never, and I think it's in the 12-step um, OA, I would never treat somebody the way I've treated myself. Never. No way. I wouldn't ever treat you guys. I would never starve you. I wouldn't. I would never do that. I, I couldn't. I couldn't say no to you if you were hungry and needed food and needed nourishment. So it feels good to know that I don't want to do that to myself. I really want to self-love myself. Um, I also say the serenity prayer all the time. Every morning I get up and get on my knees and ask God that I'll eat my three meals that day and stay abstinent. Um, because to me, God's everything. God keeps me alive. If I don't have a higher power in this program, it's not going to work. It's spiritual, emotional, physical. Well, the physical's there, you know, it's there. The emotional, okay, I deal with things. But nothing to me works without the spiritual. That's the great thing about this program, and I know that. If I don't connect with my God every day, I'm not going to feed myself. I'm not going to work this program. I'm not going to be good to you. I'm not going to be good to me. And it's going to be a really tough day. Um, I also uh, do sponsoring. I also have sponsors. I go to lots of meetings. I do lots of service, lots of service. I'm big on service. Um, I'm big on giving back what's been given to me because that's important to me. It is. I need that. Um, and um, I read literature a lot. I write a lot. Um, I write all the time. I pray all the time. I tell this, some of my uh, San Jose people know this. I can literally drive in the carpool lane because I'm talking in there all the time. And if I got pulled over, well, God's in the car. Because I'm talking all the time to God, all the time. Even if I start to have a bad day, I'll start thanking him for the challenge he's given me and show me what you want to show me through this challenge so that I can grow to do your will. So if I don't do if I don't do a reality check with him, I'm going to get in self-pity, and I don't want to eat, and I want to hurt myself, and then I want to go work out, and then I feel dizzy when I'm working out, and I feel sick. And that's not going to work either. Um, so um, today, I stay away from my family of origin because just like I eat and I feed myself food, they are not good in my life. I had to remove them from my life. They're not healthy. Um, they, they give me nothing. If anything, I've done well with them is that I can't believe today, and I never thought I'd say this, that I love them, that I um, have no resentment towards them, and they did the best they could. I never thought I'd say, well, my dad did the best he could by raping me. But that's the best he could do. And the great thing is, is I don't hurt people that way. That's what I'm so pleased with. So... Um, and I don't lock anybody in a room. I don't lock myself in a room either, but I do take care of myself. Um, the other thing I have to look at, of course, is shortcomings. I, I loved it when the talk was on taking yourself too serious. 
And I love when I see God working in my day. I had to call and get another personal trainer due to a situation in my life. And it didn't work out with one of the trainers, so I decided I need to go to a female trainer. It's not working out with this male trainer. So I called this female trainer today, NOA. She put in her God box that God would bring her three trainees in two days, and they would call her. I've been the second one to call her. It's amazing how this program works. It's amazing. I have goosebumps thinking about that because God had me work, and God had her work. So um, today I make my food plan. I call my food in. I eat my food, what I'm going to say. I try not to diet. I try not to not eat. I'm not perfect. Um, I didn't want to be so serious about this, but this is kind of a serious disease. Anorexic, when I was practicing this, the other day, I had a lot of tears. It's a really sad disease. It's a really sad, you know, when you think about not eating, you know, it's about, to me, it just reminds, um, I really beat myself with a ball bat or something. It's just horrible. It's just terrible inside the way I feel when I don't eat. And I don't deliver well during the day if I don't eat. I have a very active job, and I need to be, and I have to think a lot. And so I have to be... I have to have food to think, and so I try to look at food as nourishing me. So, um, as I stated, I work the steps. This, that's okay. Uh, this program works. You guys, I need you here. I need you to keep coming back. I'm very selfish. I need your love. I need your kindness. I mean, just standing up here looking at you guys looking at me is like just incredible love. I could just stand here all day. I'm not going to even leave. Um, you're not coming up. Um, I'll talk about bulimia too. Anyway, so, okay, but it just feels so good. And I'm not nervous. This is my story. I wanted to be funnier, but it didn't come out that way. And that's, that's okay. God didn't want me to be too funny. Maybe saving up my energy for the, you know, dancing tonight. Because I only have so much energy. So, um, but you know, that's all I really want to cheer on. And, um, the great thing is, is that I came, I did this because it didn't matter to me if I don't, I, I never care if I move a crowd or not because that's up to God. It's not my job. My job is just to tell my story and my truth. And the great thing is, is your job is just, God, it's just the most important job is just sitting there loving me through this. So I love you all very much. And uh, you can call me anytime you want if you want my number or something. And keep coming back. Thank you, Ann. And our second speaker today is Jennifer. I'm Jennifer. I'm a compulsive overeater and bulimic. I'm going to circulate a couple pictures, but they're not pictures of what you think. They're pictures of my family and the reason why I enjoy recovery so much. See, one's something a little bit different, huh? Well, I'm grateful to be here. Um, you know, being uh, in a room full of anorexics and bulimics, we have a tendency to take life pretty darn seriously. I notice whenever I'm in a meeting, difference between being with just compulsive overeaters, the, the meetings are a little lighter and a lot of laughter, and when I'm in a meeting with anorexics and bulimics, it's pretty serious because we're a serious people and we've got 
issues. So I'm going to just really encourage during this session that we're not necessarily a glum lot and that we can have fun during this. Even though this is serious, um, I want to really celebrate my recovery because I am really grateful for Overeaters Anonymous, and I'm really grateful to be standing here with some of the best liars in Overeaters Anonymous. <laughs> you guys are good, and that's why they don't like having us in here. <laughs> but you know what? We belong in here. And even though sometimes they tell us maybe we shouldn't be in here, there's some that do because they don't understand. Um, we do. Um, I'm 37 years old. I've been married for 17 years, and I have four kids. Been married for 17 years only because of my higher power. Let me tell you that. That's not because of me. Um, the reason why we belong in here is because of my favorite passage in the 12 and 12. And I'm just going to read a little bit out of it. Um, page uh, 10 and 11. We became obsessed with diets, spent hundreds of dollars on weight loss schemes, appetite control drugs, major surgery on our digestive systems. We did it willingly, fasting. We started eating again, purging ourselves with vomiting, laxatives, excessive exercise, stuffed food in our mouths and held physical pain, got rid of it, damaged our digestive systems. Still, we could never accept our powerlessness. The prospect of being obese or sick, out of control for the rest of our lives, led some of us to conclude that life was simply not worth living. Many of us thought about suicide. Some of us even tried it. I've done every single thing that I just read. Um, I used to be 285 pounds, and my lowest weight was 140 pounds. Um, and I don't circulate pictures ever because this isn't a diet and calories club for me. Uh, this is for spiritual, and uh, it's just as important physical, spiritual, emotional for me, per my story coming up. Um, I was introduced to OA when I was in high school at 16 years old, and just like probably many of you, a uh, daughter of an alcoholic, daughter of compulsive overeaters, sexual abuse, um, and overweight. I think that's kind of familiar amongst our group and some underweight, you know, what have you. Um, and my husband proposed to me when I was 20 years old and when I was in OA in high school and my mother was in there, my stepfather was in there, my sister was in there and they, they left. Um, I was 220 pounds when I got married and within four years and, and a child I was 285 pounds. And I chose to get gastric bypass surgery when it was the very, very, very early 90s before it was hip and happening. And I decided to go and get it and not tell anybody in OA and I was going to come back because I knew I needed OA. But it wasn't working. It wasn't working after eight years. But So I came back to my first meeting because I knew I needed it for up here and I had a woman come up and say, we know what you did. I was 20, 22, 22. And I started sobbing, and I left. I left for uh, probably about six years, and my life fell apart because my feelings got hurt and because I felt like I didn't belong, um, which, by the way, I gained all my weight back, lost it, gained half of it back, lost it again. The long story of up and down, up and down, and the surgery, um, 
we shall not regret the past or wish to shut the door on it, but that probably wasn't the best choice for me to do. Um, anyway, it's a progressive disease. I love the big book. I love the big book. And if anyone's ever read the big book and the jaywalker, you're looking at her. So let me tell you a little bit about the story of the jaywalker in the big book. He's good people. Um, the jaywalker gets a thrill out of skipping out in front of fast-moving vehicles. He really likes that. And the first few times he gets he gets a bump here and a bruise there, and people are going, what are you doing? Why are you running out in front of these fast-moving vehicles? What's wrong with you? He gets a thrill out of it. He digs it. And if he were normal, he would stop. But he goes out and he does it again. And the next time he gets hit and he gets a fractured skull, and people are going, what is wrong with him? He goes, I'll stop. I promise I'll stop tomorrow. I promise. I just fractured my skull, you know. And then he gets better. And then he goes right back out there again when he gets better, and he breaks his arm the next time. And he goes back in the hospital and back and forth and back and forth and breaks both his legs the next time. And through the years, he gets divorced. He loses his job. He goes into the insane asylum. And after he's there for years and years, he finally gets out and he swears, I will never jaywalk again. Swears it off forever. He gets out, walks right out um, in front of his fire engine and smashes him down and he busts his back. Now, if anybody who is a bulimic, anorexic, or compulsive overeater, you probably understand the story of the jaywalker. If you're not, you probably have no idea why this story compares to any of us. But um, I understand the jaywalker. I do. I'm the jaywalker. I will just promise myself I will not do it again. But I will, over and over and over again. And it reminds us yet again, self-knowledge avails us nothing. Addiction is not a moral issue. I didn't understand that. I thought I was a bad person because of the choices I was making. And so I had gotten to the point after leaving OA of starving myself and purging up to 10 times a day, laxative abuse, more than a box a day, ending up in the hospital. And I had a point where I had lost 110 pounds in four months. I had hurt myself so badly with excessive exercising, starving, purging. It was horrible. Um, compulsive exercise, running. Um, tearing up my shoulders. You can't run with these girls. I mean, you can't compulsively exercise like that. It does not work. But I liked the pain. The pain. You know, the pain. Anything to hurt me. And I didn't know why. And that feeling of of control. I thought I was in control even when I was completely out of control. Um, and the toughest part about it is when I would compulsively overeat, when I would gain my weight back is when I would stop purging and then I would compulsively overeat, people don't tell you you're looking good. They just stop talking to you. And then when I start purging or starving or compulsively exercise, everyone comes out of the woodwork and they tell you how good you look. It's very difficult, all of a sudden, accepted by everyone. It's amazing. It's amazing. Difficult. So I didn't look that good because then things started to change. My face turned gray. I got the dark circles under my eyes. My hair started falling out. Every time my kids talked, 
I couldn't listen to them. Their voices would get on me. And basically, by the time I went into treatment twice and went into the insane asylum twice, we'll just call that the nut house. Actually, I like to call it the paper slipper club. <laughs> and we are not a glum lot. Now, come on. I was addicted to pain, not pain pills. I was addicted, I've been there too, but I was addicted to um, diet pills. We'll call it speed, let's be honest. Speed, you know, um, exercise, the laxative, the food, the vanity, um, you know, and then I didn't know what to do with that new body. And that's not cool when you're married. No, that's not cool. But I didn't know what to do with myself at all. I didn't know what to do, handle the stairs. You know, the flirting, talking to, my life was an absolute mess when I went into treatment. Um, my marriage was on the rocks. So I always knew OA was there. For those six years, I knew OA was in the back of my mind and that that was the answer. Um, and so I literally stumbled back in through the doors. I mean, my life was an absolute mess. Um, the first time I could go back there, I had to go binge, get rid of it in the back alley, and then I, and then I uh, walked in, and I, laid, I saw a woman who was in the meeting back when I used to go, and I laid down on her lap and just sobbed the whole meeting. I didn't want to be there. And the woman who had said that to me years ago was there, you know, and, and I just cried through the whole meeting, but I knew I was home because I knew the answers were there. And during that meeting, I listened to this one woman tell a story, and I thought, oh, my gosh, that's me. That's me. There's somebody there who understands. So I asked her to be my sponsor. And when she started sponsoring me, she called me something that I went, what? She said, you are a gutter drunk bulimic. I said, a gutter drunk bulimic? That's not me. I'm beautiful. <laughs> Everyone tells me how good I look, you know. And, she was, and then I started doing the steps. And, um, but one thing she nailed me on is when I was 16, this was a 12 and 12, somebody made this for me. I had, this is why I don't bring my pictures. I had a picture of me at 285 pounds right here, and it said, never go back, right here. And I carried that in with me. And she said, first thing you're going to do is take that out of your 12 and 12. You were different than just the compulsive overeaters. It's okay for for a compulsive overeater to do that. The problem is the extremes I will go to take control to never go back. She goes, you can't have that picture in there. So I needed to take that out, and I replaced it with what we really have is a daily reprieve contingent upon the maintenance of our spiritual condition. She goes, you're going to get better with your spiritual condition. Then it's going to go emotional. Then it's going to go spiritual. Things are going to go a little different with yourself will run riot. She said, for you, it's going to be balance, balance, balance. Everything is going to go in balance every single day. When you think abstinence, Jennifer, it's not going to be, well, my food plan was, my food plan, no. It's what's your, what's your emotional plan for the day, what's your physical plan for the day, What's your spiritual plan for the day? Every single day, that's my abstinence. And so, probably the neatest thing in the big book that I read was called The Doctor's Opinion. 
if there's one thing that I would admonish everyone to read is to open the big book. It's in the very front. And it talks about the obsession of the mind and the allergy of the body and how we will obsess upon the food and obsess and obsess. But we can stop it at that point. We can stop the obsession at that point. We can say a prayer. We can reach out. But the second it touches our lips and it goes into our body, we don't have control anymore. There's no control because we have an allergy. So we have to stop it at the obsession part. And that's where Overeaters Anonymous comes in because we have the tools at that point. But I didn't understand I had an allergy. So it was so wonderful to get an answer of what was going on. Um, I had an opportunity to do the steps, which were absolutely unbelievable. To go to one, to, to see the unmanageability in my life, how it affected other people. To number three, to know there were two points of it. To make a decision. To make a decision to turn my will and life over to the care of God. I thought it was, oh, I turned my will and life to the care of God. No, I needed to make that decision because I wasn't making decisions. I was letting food make my decisions. And when I finally did it, I did it. To do a fourth step, I was scared to do a fourth step because I thought it was an immoral inventory. She said, it's a moral inventory. An inventory is when, you know, if I owned a store and things weren't moving, I would do an inventory to see what I needed to get rid of. And so if things weren't moving along, I'd get rid of some things on the shelf and put better things up there. Okay. So that made sense. And I wanted to do my fourth step perfect. Perfectionist? I don't see any perfectionists in this room. No, she said, no, you're only allowed to get a C plus because you will take forever and you have three days. And I want to see a very, very sloppy one. That was the only way I would do it because I was putting it off and, you know, it was going to be the rose and with the ruler, you know, it was going to be the way. Because she said, you're going to do a hundred of them. You're just going to keep doing them and doing them and doing them. So I just did it. And I got through it, and I got to make amends. And I had an opportunity for, to absolutely forgive my stepfather. Impossibility to forgive people like that. But I was. Miraculous things have occurred in my life because of overeaters and the things that I thought were impossible. To know my father, the alcoholic, to separate the daddy from the disease. Oh, my gosh. An addict would do that, but a father wouldn't. What? Oh, my gosh. I mean, amazing things have happened with the relationships in my life. And there are days that this disease is completely removed from me, and food is nothing. I can eat my three meals a day and my snack, and all is well. And there are other days when I'm eating my three meals a day and my snack, and I think I'm just going to die. And then someday my snack is a little too big. You know, I mean... And I don't know if it's ever fully going to be removed, the obsession. It hasn't yet. Um, I'd really like it to be. But that's where the seventh step comes in, where my defects of character are going to be removed by God when he is darn well pleased to do it and he wants to do it. You know, it's not my business. That's not my business. My business is to do the steps. The seventh step is the only one I don't do. That's up to him. But he has done incredible things up to this point incredible things. My husband loves to tell me this when I start doing this. He says, Jennifer, trust the process. Just let it go and trust the process. When I start going crazy, it's going to work. Trust it. 
the process. And when it comes to complimenting or making comments on my body, oh, he's been married to 800 women. Let me tell you something. Hair color, weight, personalities, doing all this stuff. He said, once, I don't ever have to have an affair. I've been, I've been with so many different women. It's not funny, you know. So, but what he does is he will never say, oh, like losing weight. Oh, you're looking good. Your body's looking good. You've lost weight. Oh, and he chose to do this after going to a treatment center and um, doing the little family thing and writing the letters. I see some head shaking up and down. You hurt me because I feel this, you know. Uh, he will, if I have a dress on and I walk into the room, he will say, you look very attractive in that dress. That dress looks very nice on you. That dress looks very, you know, that dress is very nice on your figure. But my very favorite one, he says, he goes, he says, you are very pleasing to the eye. That's my favorite one. I always wait for that one. That one always makes me come. But, you know, he says that when my waist up, too. And that always makes me feel really good. Um, and I appreciate that. And I appreciate my husband. He's um, He has his own stuff. We all have our own stuff, but he's been uh, in a program, so he understands program, which which is a good thing. My disease lies, and it starts in my head, and what the program's given me is an opportunity not to be fake. My smile was fake for so many years, and now when I smile, the majority of the time it can be real. No, and I'm really glad for that. Um, one of the most important things I've learned um, is that I have to be rigorously honest. I need to call my food in or email it in. Um, when I do make a boo-boo, I have to be honest right then and there. When I when I don't have that balance, I've got to get right on it. Um, real quick, there's a lady in, in our meeting. And uh, when I walk in, when there's a new new person there, this has only happened three times. I'm trying to make it sound like it happens every single time it doesn't. I heard her say, she goes, that's Trevor. She is a sick one. Because there are a lot of bulimics in our area, and I have a chance to be rigorously honest, because I need to be. I need to be rigorously honest. But to a, just a compulsive overeater, they're like, what are you doing with our food? You know, I mean, they just, there's a lot they don't get. So, um, you know, I am, I am a sick one, but I'm getting better one day at a time. So... I would never be able to do this without every one of you because a lot of people in program, the anorexics and bulimics, they're branching out and they're going other places because they're not feeling real welcome here. But I'm really glad all of you are sticking it out and staying here because this is our home. It really is because it really is the same disease. We just heard a speaker before talk about with the anorexia. It is about the food eating too much, you're not eating too much, it's the compulsive eating. And there isn't a bigger support group in the whole world when it comes to food than Overeaters Anonymous. I'm so grateful, and I'm grateful for all of you. Thank you. Now's the time for the questions. So this is, I'll read the question and then if however you ladies want to do it, if you both want to answer or one or it's more applicable to one or the other. 
Okay, so what do you do when you feel fat? Is it possible to accept our bodies long term? Um, it's a good question. Thank you so much for the courage to ask. Well, again, I, I go back to the self-love. You know, I, I, if I feel fat, it's just a feeling. And as it says in program, it'll pass, kind of like gas. And so, um, which, you know, you eat the fruit and vegetables, you're going to have that, that hang around this program. Um, so you can only play the dog so many times. <laughs> um, no, but it, it, I have to self-love. I have to go, okay, I feel, I say out loud, I feel fat. God, can you help me? I surrender it. I make a call. I just do a lot of self-love. Do you want to answer that? Well, as my brutal sponsors say, that is not a feeling. But the, the kind people I surround myself with would say they are. Um, they say that must be very difficult, and I need people to say that to me because I know it's going to pass. Because feelings aren't facts. Because to me, it is a feeling. So it will. And in 20 minutes, I might feel different. And I don't know if long term I'll be able to accept my body. But you know, right now in recovery, I actually do. I do. I like my body, and I don't think a lot of people can say that. But um, I'm I'm okay with it. I don't think a lot of people <laughs> say that. I I do. So the, the question is, I'm a compulsive overeater. What is the appropriate thing to say when I meet a bulimic or anorexic or both at a meeting? Great question. Hey, chubby. <laughs> not chunky monkey, not the ice cream or anything. Um, well, like, um, it's a good question, but I, I think it's the same. It all comes down, for me, it comes down to the same thing, that the I'm real big on love. I know I sound like I'm a groupie or something, but um, if you meet a bulimic or anorexic, um, like say at a meeting, like, could that be clarified or like, um, oh. Well, first you say there, hi, how are you? You hug them maybe. And um, remember, they're suffering just like you are just in a different way. Um, one, uh, one's purging, one's not eating, and you're overeating, but three to one, the other two are overeating. They just will uh, starve themselves another time or purge it up. But again, I think it's the self-love that you get in these rooms. That's the best thing we can give each other. Hey, welcome home. Give me a hug. Is there anything about your disease that you want to share with me and educate me? You know, you're welcome here. We love you. So have you had relapses in your eating disorders? How do you be honest at meetings when everyone thinks you're fine? We are good actors and actresses. I've often said that I should get an um, Oscar because I know how to act. Those people on the red carpet don't, shouldn't know how to act. 
excuse my language. Well, my relapse is if I don't eat, and the same thing is that I'm hurting or something's inside. And honest, you know, I've always been told in this program how honest I am, and I didn't realize it, you know, listen to you, Jennifer, and if I'm not honest, I am the best stinking liar in the world. Man, I can look so good when I'm hurting inside so bad. And it's amazing. It's just amazing to me. So um, I hope that answered that. I just, I just, I know if I'm not honest, my program's not going to go well. I'm going to get back in the disease. Yeah, I just can't worry about what they think. I, if you can tell, I've come a long way before I had to be perfect and go in there and say that I was doing everything right. And then I went to the extreme and thought, screw them all. I'm just going to lay everything out on the line. Um, thus, the, she's the sick one. And then through a lot of sick work, it went to, you know, I love them all. They're sick people. They're in there taking my inventory when they need to be taking their own. And, you know, if they're judging me because... I'm sharing my stuff and telling me that I'm not abstinent. They don't know what my abstinence plan is because I'm a compulsive overeater bulimic. My abstinence is not like theirs. It's all different for everyone. So if I'm saying that my snack was this at night and they're going, she's not abstinent, you know, whatever. So can you speak about the importance of following a structured food plan in your recovery? What are the dangers of falling into obsession or restriction when following such a plan? What are the benefits, the risk, what works for you? That's a good question. Um, and nice handwriting. Um, you ought to see mine. It looks like I'm having an epileptic seizure. Um, Well, okay, the first part of that, can you speak about the importance of following a structured food plan in your recovery? Huge. But, again, I liked what you said, Jennifer, too, about the knowing my emotional state, my physical, my spiritual state. That helps. Like, i got to have a food plan. i got to tell myself I'm going to eat today, and I'm not going to purge it, and I'm not going to overeat. So that's the answer. What are the dangers of falling into depression or restriction when following such a plan? Oh, oh, what are the, oh, I thought it was depression, I'm sorry. What are, oh, obsession, I'm sorry. What are the changes? Oh, um, well, that's, okay, for me, I'm going to own this. That's why I don't do 90 day, for me. It's too, I can't count like that. If I'm going to measure every little tablespoon and every, I'm on a diet and I'm restricting myself and I'm in trouble. Um, that will just mess it. And it works for some people, and I think that's great. Uh, what works for me, the risks, again, the risks are me at the end of the day. If I don't take care of me, I, it's not about me. It's about me taking care of me in society, me taking care of me for my program. And the risks are too high. They're too high for me not to show up for life, to be what God wants me to do, be, to do his will, and um, that's what works for me to write it out and call it in. I try to just follow the diabetic food plan with the low with the lower uh, 
to fat, and I feed that to my family to the best possible. My husband is also a compulsive overeater. He is not active in programs, so he does his own thing. I have no control over that. Powerless over people, places, and things. But I don't restrict. I don't measure. I don't do that for a reason. Not only because I don't want to, but I have a 13-year-old daughter that I want to set an example for that we just eat. We eat as a family. We eat meals, and I don't want to show the diet going on. That's my stuff. My stuff. So, and boy, if I start structuring, I go cuckoo. I feel like someone's trying to control. Have you tried anorexics, bulimics anonymous, or eating disorders anonymous? No, I haven't. Neither of the speakers have. I've been told most bulimics with recovery have had to learn to sit with a binge, not purge. Any suggestions or ideas or encouragement about this? Go on a walk. Make a phone call. So this is to the first speaker, so to Anne, and to both if it applies. How did you learn so much love when you were raised with so little? Um, well, I, I had a choice, okay? I knew I had a choice. Either I was going to survive it. And I, I, didn't want to run, I didn't want to walk around in life like I'd been abused. I want people to be kind of shocked. You know, God, you're kidding. You're so, you uh, handle things so well. They don't even know what I do at home. Um, but um, I knew they were always nutty. So I knew things were, were wrong, were not right. And, um, I, you know, I really think it's my God. I really think God just gave me the power to love and to love, to love people and to love me. So I made a choice that I wanted to have a really good life. I came in these rooms. I saw people happy, joyous, and free. And it's the promises that made me come back. I wanted what they had. That's why I came back. Love is hard. Love feels really hard on me. I can try to love other people. I've just recently learned to put my arm around my mom when I sit by her. That was huge. It's one thing to forgive somebody, and it's another thing to show and express. Coming to this convention is absolutely terrifying to me. I spent, I, I run up to the room, I probably run up to the room ten times today, honestly, and I sit in there and breathe and breathe and breathe and breathe. I didn't come here with anybody. I don't have anyone to sit with. You know, I see you guys every year when I walk by you, you know, because I don't know what you're going to think of me. And I love you because you're my brothers and sisters, but to get a close, bonding, loving relationship with anyone is so difficult still, so difficult. So that's a real work in progress for me. But I'm real attracted to it because you guys have it. Do you think you need to be sponsored by a person who is also an anorexic bulimic? Um, like I said when I started, it's really hard to find the anorexic and some of the bulimic um, in, this, in, this, in, this, in a recovery 
and in, reco in recovery. It's very hard to find um, in this area, I have found. Now, unfortunately, um, my step sponsor might, I'm not sure, um, but my, um, I know my food sponsor doesn't, but I just talk to others then and get a feel for them, even if they're not, even if they're struggling in, in the disease. But, um, and I keep listening and reading stuff, so. helpful. It's sure helpful to talk to somebody with the same disease for them to have that empathy. Um, I've had compuls just compulsive readers. Um, they have no idea. They can tell me to do the same things, to read the book, book to, to do the tools, but they don't get it. They just don't get it. Like like a fellow anorexic or bulimic can get it, but, but like we'll share, it's really hard. I, I live up north, Reno, Nevada area, Susan, to find some up there in recovery is really difficult. I have to get on the internet to do that. So I, I would definitely prefer to have somebody in recovery for that empathy. How can, how can I help my anorexic and bulimic spouse better when I am, I'm not sure I understand the question, when I am an overeater? So I think the question is, how can I help my anorexic and bulimic spouse when I'm an overeater? Um, I, know we're at a, I know we're at an OA convention. That's why I also go to Al-Anon. <laughs> I stay out of their stuff. Um, I'm not married, um, but anybody I date, I try to stay out of their stuff, whatever they're in. It's not, it's not my business. The only thing I need to do is to love them through their stuff. I don't have to like it, but I can separate it. It's like Jennifer said, I can separate out that, that disease with the person, and I can just love that person. And maybe empathize with them too, especially when. But helping them, I think, is just loving them. Uh, this is from Jennifer. Take care of yourself. So it's now time to close this session. Let's thank our speakers and all the adventurers for the session. Please stand and join us if we can make a large circle around the outside of the room as we say, I put my hand in yours.